Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, I think it's been long enough since we've done one of these podcasts to, to do another one here. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Here you had a nice little night out uh, there to watch the Firebirds game, RJ. I did. And of course, true to the beer hall being all about hockey, uh, the Firebirds game on all the TVs, uh, you nice. know, it was certainly there ready to go if you want to watch it, even on the big projector screen, uh, you know, over at the back of the hall. So a uh, great place to watch the game. Uh, had a good time. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely good. We're, so we're going to talk a ton about the Firebirds game seven and, and all the questions and, and lingering things now there. I was, of course, at the game, can talk about the experience of being there, all that kind of stuff. Um, some talk about a upcoming Kraken UFA that was kind of going around on 32 Thoughts podcast. So we'll be talking about Carson Soucy and, and what might be going on there. And then um, for the main segment later, we will be talking about the fact that, you know, hey, Vegas won the Stanley Cup, right? None of us are happy about that. Sorry for bringing it up, everybody. Uh, but they did. And we're going to talk about what that might mean for the Kraken being the, the other expansion team, right? Like in a lot of ways, we are tied to them, whether we like it or not. Uh, there is always going to be parallels in that kind of shared history between the two franchises. But first, RJ, before any of that, I wouldn't say you and I are proud individuals, would you? No, I don't think so. No, I, I definitely wouldn't say that. Um, and so that's good, though, because it means we're willing to admit when we make mistakes and, and, and when stuff happens. Oh, and, certainly. And last week uh, we did make a little mistake as we were doing all the, um, you know, uh, listening to the voicemails and reading tweets from everybody's favorite moments from the Kraken season. We missed some. And so we made, wanted to make sure we started off this week's podcast uh, with those missed DMs. So, RJ, let's let's dig back into it. Relive the glory of the Kraken season two one more time. Yes, and I've been looking forward to this as a, a start of the episode, especially with how the Firebirds game went. Mm -hmm. Start off with some positivity, yep. uh, and, and thank you again, everyone who uh, you know responded and and got back to us with some great memories from the season. I'm sorry, Twitter DMs are a, a difficult one because uh, sometimes it has a, just like a request and all this stuff. It's, yeah. uh Anyway, but th thank you for sending these in. So the first one here from DJ Mine. Favorite memory from this past season, I'm from Provo, Utah, but made the 13-hour drive up to Seattle with the wife to go to our first NHL game versus Anaheim. Having never been to the PNW before, I was blown away by the city and had an amazing time. We bought jerseys, sang Let's Go Kraken with our seat neighbors, and even got the Eberly bobblehead. It was an experience I'll never forget, and I hope to repeat next season. So long drives, Dylan, you know a thing or two about that. Yeah. Maybe not 13 hours. But uh, love the, love the dedication there. I'm gonna be driving. But, <laughs> I'm gonna be driving up to Seattle for Dev Camp. That's gonna be 18 hours for me, in like two weeks. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> well, hopefully the payoff is as good uh, as it was for DJ Mine here. Glad, yeah. glad I got to see a good game. Glad I got to go with the wife and it just experience Seattle and what it's like to yeah. go to a Kraken home game. I've talked to a lot of people after their first Kraken home game uh, who have traveled in from from out of state, from different places, and they're always just blown away by the experience. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, the game itself is an incredible experience. Um, that game in particular was pretty good, too. Like, that's a good game to go to. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, like it's it's incredible. The atmosphere about it, we've we've all talked about it. Anybody who's been to a game, a cracking game at Climate Pledge Arena knows what we're talking about. But it's it is really truly special and a unique experience. And then yeah, also just the Pacific Northwest, it's beautiful. Like you just there's no way around that, right? And here coming from Utah, it's not like, you know, nature beautiful nature is foreign uh but still it's a different kind of you know ecosphere and it's really really cool when you get up there i just trees man like i like seeing trees that are like tall <laughs> it's not something we yeah, have too and much they're of. everywhere <laughs> i know i love driving they're on everywhere. the freeways yeah, and they're just all, lining like, the freeway. it would just be non-stop just trees yeah yeah i love it i love it so always love the trips up there but yes love love all of that and hey i'm wondering you know at the game think they saw um you know the hoisting of the colors rj probably yeah if, let's see the end i'm sure oh there you go ah <laughs> right, nice that wasn't, that wasn't quite as majestic as i was hoping for as i unfurl my my banner behind me <laughs> it was very yeah, anti-climactic so for those of you just on the audio version yeah dylan dylan's banner was uh, kind of tucked away there up by the curtains and he <laughs> Released it down like those hoist the colors banners. I I thought it was just as good. I thought it lived up to to the hoist the colors, uh, to the experience there. Well, thank you. I appreciate the 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 friendly support there. <laughs> You're a good liar, RJ. All right. Thank you. <laughs> not not proud, but but you know, decent liar maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Priorities. All right. So thank you, DJ Mine, for, for sharing that great memory, uh, getting us started off the right way here on the podcast. And we have another one here, mm -hmm. this one from ViRN. Uh, hey, ECH, thank you for everything you've done to cover the Kraken and create this community. I wasn't around last year and still felt like it was very open and welcoming and willing to educate a newish hockey fan. My personal favorite Kraken memory came at the end of their 8-5 to five win over the Sharks back in November. For background, my husband is from Boston, and while I'm the sports fan in the household, he is devoted to the cause of trolling me about the success of his sports teams relative to mine. So we were at my in-laws watching that game, and he turns to me and says in this small, slightly surprised and distressed voice, I think I might be a Kraken fan. And despite the Bruins' best efforts this season, he stuck to that, so I finally won one. As a, a fan of the fundamental silliness of sports, I also need to throw in some appreciation at the 9-8 Kings game, particularly the sprong goal, the clock weirdness, and the Kings overtime too many men penalty. I took a break from following sports for a couple years, and that game was a perfect example of what makes them great, even when they aren't exactly good, yeah. and why I missed them. Viharen. In my head, by the way, because we've, we've struggled with the pronunciation yeah. here. She says, in my head, it's Viharen, but also it's a made-up name, a bestowed upon me by another podcast and therefore however you feel like saying it is fine so right. we're in the clear dylan awesome cool um yeah i mean look all right boston sports fans boston fans people from boston uh you know no offense those of you mm -hmm. who are listening but you also know exactly what i'm talking about i've known enough of you to know yeah especially when it comes to sports be pretty insufferable not gonna lie i've got during the course of this last season I went out on at least one date with three different women from Boston, okay? You know how much crud I had to take about the Bruins' success this year when I brought up my job? All right? <laughs> so, like, I I sympathize greatly, okay? That's what I'm trying to get at here. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, but, you know, look, it sounds like coming around, 
becoming a Kraken fan. It's working. Keep it up. <laughs> it's all good stuff. <laughs> yes. No, I love hearing stories, too, about, you know, where it's the significant other or family yeah. member or just, you know, somebody, right, uh, that you've that, that kind of falls in love with the team too. And, and I've, I, we've heard a lot of those stories too, where, you know, like one partner will get into the team and the other one will be like, Ooh, what is this? And then just completely falls in love with the Kraken too. Yeah. And becomes a Kraken fan. Um, I, I love hearing those stories and um, you know, the excitement of that game, that eight, five win over the sharks. Uh, that was an awesome game. I, that was the one, like, you know, the one home game that I wasn't able to make it there for because of the Thanksgiving trip and having to travel mm -hmm. and everything. And I was really sad to miss it at the time too, uh, scoring eight goals. I mean, that's, you know, it, it was an awesome game. Yeah. Uh, and it just felt like one of many with, like it was in that stretch of just yeah. they were scoring so many goals along that stretch. Like that's, that's going to win people over. Oh, it absolutely will. And then I also love the shout out for like the, you know, the community and everything. And um, we do, you and I do get this a lot, right? Like, you know, oh, thank you for like making this welcoming community and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm not trying to downplay what you and I, RJ, have done for that. But I also do want to shout out everybody who is a part of the community for also being welcoming and helping teach the newer fans. Or if you are a newer fan coming in and, and wanting to learn and engaging and, and asking questions and, and learning about it and becoming passionate um, because, you know, there's there's plenty of people from both sides of that uh, equation in the community that, you know, we see on Discord, we've seen during the post-game lives and everything. But the bottom line is you and I, RJ, can't make a community. We can provide a space for a community. We can, you know, put yep. some general rules in place, um, whether we always <laughs> remember to enforce them or not is a different uh, question. But... Um, Really, it's the community has to has to come together and it takes the engagement from people. It takes everybody wanting to, you know, have that shared space together, wanting to participate, wanting to, you know, have a shared culture with each other around sports. And that's really what sports is. I've talked about that many times before, and I'll probably talk about it during the Firebirds section in just a minute. But um, I am so, so proud of everybody you know, coming together the way that they have, whether it's in the post-game lives, on the Discord, on Twitter, the live meetups, all that kind of stuff. So definitely just want to shout out everybody because it's not it's not so something you and I did, RJ. It's something that we've all made together. Yeah, it really is. I, it, it takes everybody, right? It's an active thing mm -hmm. that people have to contribute to every day. And, and we see that, um, you know, all the time. And I can shout to Viren, a very yes. active member of the community uh, with yep. the, the Davy Jones, Jones hat, uh, you know, chart that goes to yep. where it goes to each, you know, like that was exactly. awesome. You know, just the things that people contribute all the time. I, I love to see it. Now to close this out, I have uh, a another comment that came later after I, I informed her like, sorry, we missed this. We'll include it on next week's podcast. Yeah. Um, and then a question for you, Dylan. So the comment was, you know, it was a great year when handing the team that set the single season wins record, their only shutout very justifiably doesn't make the cut. Talking about that episode yep, last yep. week. Can't wait for next year. So that's great. And of course, that is Boston yep. as well. Uh, question for you, Dylan. Yeah. Have you have you been on any second like a second date with any of the three after yes. the first round after the Bruins were eliminated? Uh, well, after the Bruins have been eliminated. Um, right. Right. Yes. 
Did, I mean, did you did you gloat? Did you give it right back? What's yeah? What of happened? course I did. Oh no no yes. Okay. No, of course I did. Of course I did. No, I have to. Like, come on, I'm not gonna okay, put good. up with that stuff. No, no. <laughs> I rub it in as I was always taking those trips to Dallas and everything. Come on, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Do you have any Florida Panthers merch you could have worn to those dates? Oh no, Probably I not. don't. I don't. That's weird too. I should have like a like a Barkov shirt or something, I feel like. Right. I feel like that would be appropriate. Or now my boy Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Get on there that, you go. All right. Well, some, some... <laughs> yeah, I'll get on that. <laughs> oh, man. I'm the one with the company credit card. Fair enough. Yeah, no. I know. Yeah, that's what we needed. That's what, that's what our budget needs to be spent on. <laughs> Florida Panthers Clearly. merch for me. When I go out with We're someone from Boston. We're talking about on the podcast. It's a business expense. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, our accountant would back us up on that. Um, <laughs> all right. So good stuff there. Glad we got um, around to talking about those because it is. like Anytime we get to think back to this past season, it's just fun for me because uh, it was so much fun. And I assume it is for everybody else as well. But And this is something I brought up last night, RJ, to everybody. When the Firebirds game ended, it's now officially next season, right? Yep. That's the that end of the it. hockey season. End of the calendar. That's the last game pro hockey for the year. Yeah. So um, we're into season three, everybody. <laughs> Be ready. <laughs> um, but it was it was really cool. We'll go ahead and talk about it. And sorry if I'm all like rambly today, everybody. I got like four hours of sleep. Uh, I was I was gone for 12 hours, seven of which were spent in the car. <laughs> so it was a lot, but it was really, really cool to be there. Firebirds, unfortunately, RJ, losing game seven of the Calder Cup finals, the AHL championship in overtime, almost making it out of the first overtime, too, before, you know, just an unfortunate bounce looked like off of maybe someone's shin pad. It was kind of hard to see. I was at ice level um, just out and, you know, backdoor no. goal what yep now interesting tidbit i don't know if you're aware of this at the time if people were sharing this um did you know like that this was the second that it was the second game seven in the calder cup finals to ever go to overtime no i didn't and the last one happened in 1953 wow that's that's and, and also this was the longest one too the 53 one ended earlier all right. So that was the longest game seven overtime in Calder Cup playoff history um, or in Calder Cup. Yeah. Final history. Yeah. Sorry. And only the second one, the last happening in 1953. So you're there for something historic. I wasn't sure if that was something that was known in the media circles as you were down in the tunnel. Um, but anyway, just wanted to tell you that. Yeah. No, everybody was just super like on edge because <laughs> it's game seven yeah. overtime. Like there's no room for any you other didn't need the historical angle. Yeah. Just the no Calder cups on the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just know that at any moment, something is going to happen. And unfortunately for the firebirds, it, the moment happened for the Hershey bears. Um, still though, insane, incredible season for the Coachella Valley firebirds. That was definitely something that wasn't lost on everybody that was there. Um, just the impact that they made on the Valley. I've got examples I can talk about in a second, but the the success that they had for a first year team, I think can't be understated. Uh, what that group of guys coming together did, what Dan Bilesman and the rest of the coaching staff was able to do to pull them all together. I mean, absolutely incredible. I mean, there's just so many angles about this that I'm excited to talk about. But the first thing was when Bilesma started his presser about an hour after the game ended last night, RJ, one of the things he talked about they played 98 games this season, including playoffs. What? It's insane. 
That's crazy. I've never heard of a team having to play so many games. It seems and like... especially with, with 26 of those games coming in the playoffs. I know. I mean, that's just, that that's unheard of, right? It's the most uh, Calder Cup playoff games that any team has ever played. Yeah. Uh, and you know those pl playoff games wear on you more than yep. a regular season game, certainly. Uh, and so to, to have just gone through that grind and made it to the very end, uh, I mean, there, there's just something to be said for how incredible that is in itself. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And then you also think back to like when the season started. And that was something that I did a lot of yesterday was thinking back to when I was there for the home opener and and the different levels in intensity from the crowd uh, with that. But also, well, real quick, before I get to that, the fact that they started first 21, 22 games on the road this year. Like, forget about just, like, the, the wear and tear of the playoff schedule. They were also, like, road warriors for the first to start the year. Because even some of their home games were played up there at, at CPA or Climate or uh, Kraken Community Iceplex. They were playing home games. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to those early in the season, even when they had their training camp. It was all based out of KCI. It was all up in Seattle. Yeah. And it was a team that didn't really have a home quite yet. And you know, they were making it work in a bunch of different buildings, even when they were at quote unquote home in Seattle, yeah. it was a bunch of different venues they had to play in. Yeah. Um, and you know, that can be a lot on a team that can be very difficult. We saw with the Kraken, um, how guys were talking about just how difficult it was to have everyone thrown together, uh, on a brand new team on an expansion team. And, you know, with, with COVID going on and everything too, and you saw how much it affected them. Mm -hmm. that, that was a team that was obviously much better than what their record was. And we saw second season kind of prove that, right? As yeah. soon as you don't have that first season, all those problems. Um, but then you have the Firebirds who are dealing with that stuff, maybe even more so because they don't have their home rink yet. Right. And it just didn't even negative. I mean, you know, maybe it did negatively affect them. Maybe they just would have won all their games mm -hmm. otherwise. But, you know, they, they played right through it. And it's um, just really impressive what they were able to do. I mean, I remember um, going out to talk to Riker Evans after one of the games at KCI and, and and going over to the Kraken locker room. And it's just the locker room the refs use for the beer league games. Like that's that's all it was. Like you just walk across the hallway where, you know, where I play my beer league games. Like that's the, you know, that's what they were were working with and were dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, I remember there was, you know, an injured player for the Abbotsford Canucks who just like had to walk through the main lobby of KCI, you know, to, to get out to where he was treated. Like, um, you know, it's, it's not the ideal setup for a team to start out, but um, you know, they didn't let it stop them. No, I thought about it last night, RJ, uh, on the drive back. And I was like, you know, if I had, if I was maybe, you know, closer to Palm Springs or something like that, I could have covered more games with them. This team deserved to have a book written about them and about what they did this season in their first year in existence and the success that they had, the way they impacted the culture of the area, what they meant to the area, they meant to everybody who works for the team. The fact that, you know, they helped bring this arena to to the place and everything. And then just, yes, the, the trials and tribulations of this crazy year they had. And then you look at some of the players on the team um, as, as it finishes up and, and just the year that a Joey Decor had and what he came to mean to the fans. And I'll definitely get to that in a second. But also the, the journeyman season and ending up there with a Shane Wright. Right. He becomes this like integral bottom six member of their playoff run after his, you know, after playing for like a thousand teams earlier in the same season in little different pockets <laughs> of time. Um, like this, this team absolutely deserved to have like a book or a 30 for 30 documentary or something like that. And I wish I'd 
been around more to to be around for more moments and establish more of a relationship with people to to try to make something like that happen um hopefully someone out there did and they can they can get it done um but i, I it was it's a really it's a really really special group um in in so many ways but one of the the biggest ways i think is really what they've brought into that area um that didn't really have professional sports before and I bring this up also because, you know, it's something that I don't know many people within the Kraken community totally feel, but I do know that there was lots of skepticism outside of that in the hockey world about the idea of bringing, you know, okay, here goes hockey to the desert again. Last time we heard that was the Coyotes, and we all know what's going on there, right? Like this idea of, of, of that um, with it not being attached to like this oasis like Vegas, right? Um and so mm -hmm. there was there was lots of stuff like that. And I thought back to the first game I was there for, which was the home opener for Aquashore Arena. And one of the things I talked about in that podcast we did after that was that, you know, hey, look, it was a crowd that was into it and willing to learn. But they, you know, they weren't familiar with hockey. Right. A vast majority of them. And why would they be right? Living in Palm Springs, yeah. living in Coachella <laughs> Valley. I'm not expecting them to all, you know, know all this stuff about hockey. But that, you know, I, I sense that there was passion there and everything. It was just going to take a little bit of time for them to, you know, learn the game, learn the guys, get used to all that kind of stuff. And boy, did they. Because going there for the playoff games, RJ, insane atmosphere. Like, so intense, so loud, so engaged. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's understanding it. They're, like, it was so electric there last night. Like, I don't really know how to put into words how incredible the crowd was last night and how proud they were to have their team and as you know uh bob condor covers the crack and you know i know uh he was down there to cover game seven and he had asked dan bilesma during the um during the post-game presser he, he started off by saying so you outlasted the snowbirds Bilesma coach coach bilesma said yeah, but like 80 days, right? Like this isn't, you know, oh, the, the people from Canada that happened to have their, you know, winter home in, in Palm Springs. Like this was just the local community and there was 10,000 of them there and they were loud and they were, you know, cheering on their guys. And it's very much their guys. Like they totally have ownership of this team now. And it's really, really cool to see. Yeah, and it was special to, to be able to see that in the conference finals. So everyone, they really, like you said, they've taken ownership of that team. They've embraced yeah. it. This is our team. And, and and I love that too, when you have hockey that goes into a market where there's really no other pro team sports. I think you, you saw that in Vegas where, I mean, you, you know, you had some others like before Vegas, but nothing that big a scale. Right. And everyone just rallies around that. I, I heard so often from, you know, Vegas people like, you know, they're not, they're not really hockey fans, the Golden Knights fans. Mm -hmm. You know, they just love that team so much. I, and I think you become hockey fans once you've been a Golden Knights fan for long enough. Um, but I mean, these are Coachella Valley Firebirds fans and they're locals and they're getting into the sport and you could even see it on the broadcast. I just can't imagine being there. I've, I'm just kind of jealous you got to be there. But on the broadcast, even in overtime and these tense moments and everything, every stoppage of play when they're playing the music in the stoppages, mm -hmm. the the uh, broadcast did a good job of just like panning to fan shots where they're all on their feet and they're all like rocking to the music mm -hmm. every single yep. time. You could tell they're just having a great time. They're, you know, you're seeing some fans that are like, 
like super nervous as you know as as you would get but others that are just loving the moment uh and getting behind their team i i love how many of the fans bring their own signs and yes. have different signs that they make even like whiteboards they do their own thing yep. you, you don't see that everywhere mm -hmm. um it shows just how much they engage with it and it's smart stuff too it's you know individual player stuff that they write it's you know um i love seeing that they, this fan base they have their own personality and it's really yeah. come out no they definitely do and it's 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 crazy too like everybody has their own unique take on like the merch as well like that's one thing that's super unique you do you don't see the same like you're, you're not gonna see two of the same t-shirt there like i it's in, it's mm -hmm. crazy to me like everybody has their own unique taste some people like the um the, the pink stuff. Some people like the blue when they use the ice blue and it'll be like an all iced out um, Firebirds logo and stuff. And like just all the different ways in which they, they do that. They express themselves using the Firebirds. I think that's super unique. Um, that's not something you see from a lot of other teams in any sport. Um, and so, yeah, it's there's there's so much about it. But just the overall culture that they brought to that local community. Um, I was at Universal Studios, RJ, the other day, and I wore a Kraken shirt. I was with a friend, and I said, all right, I'm going to wear this Kraken shirt. I guarantee you one person is going to come up and say something to me today, <laughs> and I'm going to wear it, and I'll be ready to pitch them on ECH if they're not already a, a fan. Sure enough, waiting <laughs> in a line, guy behind me, Kraken, is that for the Kraken? I was like, yeah. He's from Palm Springs, out there with his with his son uh, to enjoy the theme park and talked about how awesome it is to have the Firebirds and how much they enjoy going to games together. And his son is six and is going to be enrolling, you know, in youth hockey out there next fall. And just it's crazy. And how awesome it's been for this playoff run without the Snowbirds there so that it can all just be them. Mm -hmm. Like that was part of the conversation, too. <laughs> and it was it was a lot of fun to talk about that and and to just, you know, communicate with somebody from there and see the, the passion and the excitement and the happiness that this team has brought him and his his son was really, really fun and, and cool. And then, you know, sure enough, that was the one person all day. So I got the flex on <laughs> what I knew about there. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was really, really cool. So the culture that they've brought and the culture that has started up around the Firebirds, it's it's different than what's around the Kraken. But it shares some of the same themes in the sense that it is all about that team. It's all about supporting those players and, and having a good time. It's not exclusionary feeling. It's very welcoming to, to new fans, people who are new to the sport, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's there to, to welcome you with open arms as long as you're going to root for the Firebirds. Um, and, and I think that that's, <laughs> that's really fun. And I'm glad that they, they've kind of taken on that, those same elements from um, the Kraken uh, organization. Um, the other thing, though, that I want to talk about in relation to the fans and everything is the relationship that they developed with Joey Decor. Because we knew that it was a big deal. You know, they've got graphics for Joey whenever he makes a big save. It's clear, you know, everyone shouts Joey and chants Joey's name when he makes a save, all that kind of stuff. But I don't think any one singular moment can encapsulate it the way the ending of the game went. And I don't know that you can totally hear it on the broadcast. I don't know that I... You can, actually. Okay, you can hear it on the <laughs> broadcast. But the moment the puck goes in, and the Hershey Bears have won the final. There's a moment where everybody's just kind of like, oh, like that just happened. But before mm -hmm. Hershey can even clear their b bench to celebrate, Joey Chant took up the entire 
arena. They were chanting for their goalie, who yes, had just you know allowed that 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 game-winning goal, that that championship-winning goal, and they were going to let him know that hey, you know, we love you, we support you, no matter what. That doesn't mean anything. You've been incredible for us all year long, and I don't. I mean, I just can't really remember moments like that, RJ, outside of it's like, you know, the career player who's played 1,200 games for the franchise and it's his last <laughs> game. So everyone's, you know, chanting. But for, for them to do it and for it to have happened, like I said, so fast, like I was just still processing the play that I had just seen and everybody had just moved on to, we got to make sure Joey's okay. And, and for all 10,000 mm -hmm. people to just hop on board with that being the singular focus in that moment, I, I just don't even have words for, for the emotions that kind of like swept over me seeing that. It was so, it was beautiful. That's what it was. It, it was beautiful. And I, I recognized it watching the broadcast. I had to kind of double check because I was like, I couldn't believe that it was actually happening that so quickly they were all 10,000 were like right on it like that. Uh, like you said, that's the kind of thing you only maybe see for a you know vet decade long veteran or something in a last game. And it just shows the connection that that, that community had with him uh, and vice versa. And I was surprised, of course, because you just never you never see that. But also in a way not surprised because I remember going there for the conference finals and I was curious to see because that crowd, that fan base, I think we both agree, had clearly leveled up since that first home game. Yes. And they had grown so much. And I was eager to see what players they connected with the most. Mm -hmm. um, and there, you know, there are lots of players that that fan base loves. You know, they love Cole Lynn. They love Ty Karche. I saw a lot of Karche jerseys yep. uh, there. Even some, you know, the only Kraken jerseys I saw there were Ty Karche jerseys. They yep. were so proud of what he was able to go and accomplish at the NHL level. But far and away, the number one fan favorite was Joey Decord. Uh, you you couldn't have gone to that game. You couldn't escape it. If you went to that game, you would know who their favorite player was. Uh, it was Joey Decord. And, um, you know, to see the fans want to make sure he's okay after, you know, after allowing that, that might be the most, you know, disappointing kind of painful goal that he'll allow his whole career. Um, you know, just given what the moment is. And it certainly wasn't his fault. You watch the yeah, playback. No. It's not his fault. Um, but, you know, that's that's little consolation for a goalie. Um, yes. You know, you just one one got by you one way or another. And, and you know, how disappointing that can be. Uh, but to see the fans come in and, and just lift him up right away. Um, it, it was beautiful. It's like, yeah, I'll use your word it for it. There's was. not a whole lot more you can say. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, he obviously felt it. He was very emotional afterwards. Um, but it wasn't just the disappointment at the result or, or the goal going in. It was also, I would say, you know, there was a lot of appreciation there too. Right. And, and there was a lot of, of love for those fans as well. Um, I got to imagine that was a very mixed emotional moment for him, uh, to, to, to experience yeah. that. Like, I just can't even imagine, um, and then, you know, I, I was able to, to be on the ice while the, you know, celebration was going, the handshake line, all of that kind of stuff. I took some video. I'll throw that in on the uh, YouTube video version of the podcast. Um, but, you know, he, he lined up at the back of the line for the players, for the Firebirds, right in front of Coach Dan, who was then in front of Coach Jess. And while they were going down the handshake line, I took video of the three of them. And it hit me in that moment, like, you know, this is what 
makes teams successful and and certainly what made the firebirds successful this season was like kind of this golden trio where you have the goaltender who you can absolutely lean on and they did and joey had an unbelievable postseason like incredible postseason the saves he was making even last night absolutely incredible what he meant and not just being a goaltender and all of that but being that fan favorite and being a player that the community can you know, attach themselves to or care about that, you know, helps create that strong fan base that they now have down there. Um, and then you have a coach in in Coach Dan Bilesma who runs a very good system. All four lines know what they're doing. They're out there with, you know, purpose. They play a certain way. It's tough to play against. It's unrelenting. They're just crashing on you wave after wave. That's that's all good, but also the leadership he brings from you know his own playing career in the AHL, but also the successes he had as a coach at the NHL level, and and the leadership and the the ability as we talk about the tr the turbulent season that they had just with everything going on, I I don't know that anybody else could have steered them through all of this and gotten them to the place that they could have been without him, and then you look at someone like Coach Jess who. The name of the game for this team was players like, you know, uh, uh, Riker Evans or Ty Cartier and what they were able to do as far as developing as the year went on to become special players, players who are going to go to the NHL this next year, most likely, um, or certainly for a time anyway, if they don't if they don't just outright stay there. And you think about what it takes, especially in a minor league system where you are a feeder team for an NHL club and. And you're taking in young players and you're getting them ready for that. And you need to have coaches like her who are great communicators, great teachers, who can help hone their skills, help teach them what to do in certain moments to play a certain way. And it just kind of struck me like those three individuals and what they were able to do for this team not only led to the success that the Firebirds had this year, but it's going to pay dividends for the Kraken moving forward as well and you know we'll get we'll get to talk about joey decord and maybe his future with the kraken in just a second but i just thought it was really really special to kind of see the three of them together like that because i just thought like that's what made this team this team you know what i mean yeah and i, I saw that you you made a great post on your instagram about you know kind of the, that that's the three yeah. uh, trio of people and how important they were to the team and uh, i just i wholeheartedly agree you had all the elements you're, you're looking for joey decord um playing the most playoff games of any goalie ever in the Calder cup playoffs um and and playing every second too it, yeah you know, he wasn't uh you know yanked for for the backup ever in the playoffs he played every second that a goalie was out there uh for 26 games you know and that's that's a grind you don't that's see that so in the regular much, season you know no. you, you have the rotation yeah. um and to know you can lean on him like that um i mean dan bilesma what more can you say about yeah. the culture he was able to create I, I was lucky enough to be able to see the beginnings of it up in seattle mm -hmm. with um you know with, with how kind of lucy kept the group but also the the teaching and and just setting the groundwork for how you need to work and how you need to play in a system. Um, you could see the early steps of it there and it just kept progressing. And I mean, coach Jess, the development, you saw her at, at the, at dev camp, at training camp, even working with some of the Kraken players, helping them out. Um, and the development stories, you know, you mentioned Ty Karchi and Riker Evans. Like I remember Riker Evans watching those early games. Like he was really sheltered. Yeah. Like he was just kind of getting his feet wet in the AHL. He had, he had never been in that league before. And by the end of it, he's a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. I mean, he that's one of the best 
you know, showings by a defenseman in the Calder Cup playoffs history. He was only three points off from the all-time record of points by a, a defenseman in the Calder Cup playoffs. Yeah. Three points off the the record for any most points by any rookie of any position, forwards included. <laughs> um, you know, he was he was just a force there at the end, and and to progress there, Ty Karche going from an AHL fourth liner to somebody who's scoring clutch goals in the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, that's, that's a solid development team. I'm so excited to see what they can do with yeah. these crack and draft picks from the past couple of years. That'll start coming up through that system. Mm -hmm. I, I want coach Jess to be able to, you know, take whatever opportunity she needs to, and, you know, go spread your wings and, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, go try and be a head coach one day, if that's what you want to do, whatever. But I do hope she stays with that organization for as long as they can keep her yeah. um, because she's just so invaluable. Yeah. Completely, <laughs> completely. Um, all right, so Joey Decord, RJ. He's, I mean, th like we just talked about, right? Like the playoff performance was there. It was incredible. He looked fantastic. The reality of the situation is he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, all the stuff that you and I noticed and saw and everybody watching the Firebirds, other NHL clubs took note too. And so, you know, what does this mean? It, we know the situation with the Kraken. You have Philip Grubauer. He's going to be there for a while. There's no doubts about that. You got Chris Drieger, who did a you know fantastic job coming back from the injury he did, going in, going down to the Firebirds, playing meaningful games with them down the stretch. Um, maybe some rumblings that they're trying to move Drieger's contract. If the, if that's the case, RJ, I got yep, think there it's, have been. it's because they want to re-sign Joey. And then hopefully Joey would be the backup at the, for the Kraken. I do think that would be the best reasonable scenario that you're looking at right now. It's going to be a challenge to move the Chris Drieger contract. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course the, the rumblings that they might be looking to move him. I, I, my reaction to that as well. Yeah, of course, you'd love to be able to move that contract. Yeah, you've always um, had you know, that good luck for... approach. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. And this was, you know, this was back as he was returning from the injury. We, we kind of had our debate where I thought he had negative value. You disagreed. Yeah. Um, you know, he ends up being waived. It kind of shows that, yeah, he, he does have negative value at this point. And just, <laughs> no, it's it that just means he has right? no and, value. <laughs> to other teams. okay that's, he doesn't have positive value okay fair fair enough dylan all right split the difference anyway, neither it's... of us are wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh yes you love to do that yeah um so but the reality is three and a half million for a goalie who hasn't played nhl hockey in in over a year it's a long time it is um, and and one who's still coming off a significant injury that's a bet that a lot of teams probably aren't willing to make, uh, at least not without a sweetener attached. You can probably take that three and a half million, go sign a free agent goalie. Uh, that's, that's going to give you more certainty than, right. than what a Chris Drieger does or, or, you know, or make a trade for someone cheaper. So we'll see if Francis is able to move that contract. I'm sure he'd like to, uh, but I just don't know that it's going to be really possible uh, without mm -hmm. attaching more than you'd want especially with the cap going up only a million dollars for next year with yeah. it being you know 83.5 it's going to be a tight squeeze so Drieger is kind of a question mark there but you know if he is there it's going to make it a little bit more difficult for Joey Decord and if you're if you're Joey I think you have to be looking at first and foremost where are you going to get the opportunity yeah. because Joey Decord, I'll, uh, we've said it before, I'll say it again. He should be playing NHL games. He should. He's 26 years old. He'll be 27 by the time next season starts. 
cards. He's proven everything you can possibly prove at the AHL level. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's any more that you can hope to see there. You, you know what he is at that level. Yeah. He needs to be given a shot in the NHL. And I just think with all the goaltending musical chairs, you're going to see this off season, there's going to be a lot of goalies moved around and there, there always is. There's yeah. always spots that open up. I have to think there's going to be a team that's, that's going to offer him, you know, certainly a one-way deal. Yep. And, and possibly even multiple years on that deal, depending on how much they believe what he can do. We've seen teams, you know, give goalies like this a chance that have, you know, had limited backup, you know, roles, but done, done well. And they've got good mm -hmm. AHL stats. The one I always think of is, is, uh, Martin Jones, who happens to be yeah. a, a goalie also on the Kraken's roster for now, yeah. um, you know, where, where the Sharks brought him in after a very limited stint with the Kings, but after really solid numbers in the AHL and you just figure, okay, well, he's, he's ready to come up for us. And I mean, they handed him the starting role right away, but mm -hmm. you know, there are other teams that might think, okay, he's ready to be part of a tandem for us and let's give him a shot. And it'll probably be pretty cheap cost of Effective. I mean, if you really believe in him, sign him to a two or three year deal and you could have a bargain on your hands, right. uh, you know, in a year or two. Um, so, you know, we'll see what interest there is around the league for the Kraken, because mm -hmm. I've thought about this strategically, if they want to yes. keep him one thing that they could do. Um, and I think the first I saw it to so propose was our, our, our uh, buddy Isaac from from deep sea hockey. He was suggesting that the Kraken maybe sign Joey Decord to a one year deal one way so he's guaranteed the salary mm -hmm. at i think it was like 1.125 or whatever it is the maximum allowable that you can bury in the minors uh-huh and so if decord doesn't win the starting job you basically have him and drieger fight it out yeah and you know for the starting job in training camp if decord wins the starting job you send drieger down and you have to bury his his cap hit, you know part of his cap hit but you can bury that same amount that you're paying decord so it's the same Right. cap wise whatever you choose to do and if you send a cord down then there's no buried penalty you can bury all that amount in mm -hmm. the minors and so you're dealing with the same cap situation either way i think that'd be a smart move for the kraken i i would like to see them maybe try that if yeah. possible if you're joey decord i don't know that you do that i wouldn't do that if i was him just like i i, I wouldn't either no that's too <laughs> that's that's certainly the the most team friendly thing right um, but if, yes. if I'm him after the performance you just had, I mean, look, I, you know, also, I guess I don't know the relationships between him and the organization. I can only like, look at this from an outside perspective. Um, but you, yeah, I'm taking a guaranteed NHL gig. I, I don't want to have to go into a training camp and fight it out for a spot. I don't, you know what I mean? As, especially cause it is going to be like a backup spot. Right. Like this isn't, you yeah. know, like, oh, I'm coming in to fight to be the starter. And if I lose, well, I'm still there. And at any time they go down or something happens and I can come back into it. I I, I just wouldn't do that. I, I At 26, you're ready to go. You know what I mean? Like this is it. This yeah, is 20, your 27. time. Yeah, just... right. And and you just had an incredible postseason run in the AHL level. You looked great in the in the couple NHL games you got this year. Like you have to maximize this opportunity because it could be your last to make this dream of yours come true. So if I'm him, I don't do that. Um, I, I say basically like you're signing me to, to be the NHL backup or I'm going to sign with somebody else, right? Like that's what I'm telling Ron Francis. And I think that it's totally appropriate for him to ask and want that for himself. I think he's deserved it. He's worked really, really hard for it. I would never criticize him for, for taking that. 
if you are the Kraken, though, and and the team-friendly option is off the table, RJ, mm -hmm. I mean, do you just try to, to bury Chris Drieger's contract and you just tell Joey, look, we'll sign you to whatever it takes and we'll just have that buried cap hit? Do you look at buying out Chris Drieger? Because, you know, this year it's only a $500,000, you know, dead cap hit you got to eat. Next year it'll be 1.5, but the cap should go up more next year, so it maybe isn't so bad. Um, or do you explore something I think Frank Saravelli had, had brought up, which is, you know, look, you've got this contract you don't want, and it's kind of for a position you really can't afford to have that contract be taking up a spot. So you trade it for someone else's rough contract. You know what I mean? That you can kind of eat for a year, um, but it's in a position where you don't have this urgency the way you do with Joey Decord and needing to free up a spot on the roster for him. Yeah, I would certainly look into that, especially if you think you could get maybe a, a somewhat productive player who could still, you know, maybe do something for you. Maybe even a defenseman who's making three and a half million thinking. roughly for a year. Exactly. And and have someone who, look, they, they probably are not living up to that contract or playing up to that level, but um, at least they could give you a, a backup or somebody who, you know, maybe could fill into a spot vacated by Carson Soucy, while Riker Evans is getting ready and adjusting the NHL, someone who mm -hmm. could rotate in there or be some injury depth. I would start. I would look for defensemen in that range, someone who can serve as a depth D man if there was a team interested. Um, I'd be willing to retain maybe a little bit on Drieger in a trade. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have all. Yeah, the Kraken have all of their retention slots. They're not going to use all three. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be looking to retain maybe some salary to make a deal work um, if that's what's necessary. Because um, I just I think you want to clear out that that goaltending logjam that you have. I think, you know, it's 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 rough for Chris Drieger. We haven't really talked about this from his perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, battling back from that injury and um, I, I just. I don't know that you can go into the season with someone with those injury concerns as a backup and and feel feel good about it if you don't have a Joey Decord behind him, right. you know, because then you're looking at the at the Kraken's goaltending depth chart. You've got Grubauer, Drieger, and then, you know, is it Alish Stetska? Is he the next <laughs> next guy yeah. on the list? I think he is. Um, so I, I don't I don't really trust that. So yeah, I think Ron Francis, if you're him, you got to be creative about maybe trying to move that contract. Yeah, I'm uh, just very, very quickly looking at teams that have like cap space who might be interested in having and and for cap goals. concerns too. I don't think I don't think if you're offering Joey the backup job, if you're looking to yeah. move Chris Drieger and you're assuring Joey, you will have you know you'll have the backup job yep. guaranteed. That's yours, one way deal. I don't think he'd ask for a ton of money. I think again, no. I, I I can't speak for what he's looking for, but I, I I would imagine if you're a goalie in that situation, if that was me. I would value opportunity way more than money. Exactly. And if you're guaranteeing me a backup spot, then yeah, I'll just, I'll take reasonable money, whatever you're, you know, kind of whatever, you know, the, the market plays out. Like, I don't think there are any teams that are really going to offer him a, a ton of money. It's both basically opportunity. Um, right. No, you're, he, he's looking somewhere between like, yeah, one, 1.125 or something like that. And 1.5 max probably. Yeah. Right? That's because what I was saying. Because okay. that's what a backup goalie, right? Like that's the most you're going to reasonably pay for a backup goalie usually because you do have to pay your starter, right? And and the Kraken are paying yep. Philip Grubauer. So you're not trying to commit, you know, $11 million in cap space to goaltending. Nobody really wants to do that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the situation there. So, yeah, the Kraken would be in a position, if they were able to move out Chris Drieger's contract, buy it out, whatever it was, they would be in a position to offer Joey, you know, kind of fair market value for what, you know, he's going to get from anybody else. Um, 
So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they play that out. In a lot of ways, it feels like the thing we're waiting on for the Kraken's offseason, doesn't it? Like more so than kind of anything else, that feels like the domino piece that needs to fall is really Chris Drieger. Right, because that's going to dictate what they can do cap wise for, I mean, really the rest of the offseason. It's yeah. going to be potentially a three and a half million dollar difference. Um, and that's, I mean, aside from Vince Dunn, because I think that's the other big domino, because you need to know what he's going to cost. Yes. Um, but even then, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that he's, you know, he's probably going to come back. I imagine mm -hmm. Ron Francis will get that deal done. This one affects you know, half of, of a major position group as far as what the plan mm -hmm. is goaltending wise. So I, I do think that is one of the major dominoes of this offseason where, let's be honest, we might not see a whole lot of movement from the Kraken. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you that it's going to be one of the more boring offseasons for them. Um, but this is certainly an interesting situation. And, and it, it's tough for Ron Francis and, and Joey, too, where, yeah. yes, you can talk to the agent, but like Joey's got a Calder Cup run to focus on. You know, he can't right. be making decisions about his future and so yeah and, and I, I imagine he's probably not getting on that today no. uh, you, you probably want to just get, at least give it a day to settle um so it's going to be a tight timeline he's going to have maybe a week you know out mm -hmm. from now uh before you know having to really make a decision there before hitting ufa definitely definitely so it's going to be an interesting one to follow um one of the other things that's been interesting the Kraken you know move towards the offseason is the talk around Carson Soucy now you know foregone conclusion for a while now he wasn't going to be back with the Kraken I think we've all kind of known that knew that through you know most of the season really um but uh there's there's lots of talk about uh maybe a lot of people wanting him RJ yes it seemed like Carson Soucy uh there's a lot of demand for him for sure out in the market. And we're, we're seeing that rumor on recent 32 thoughts podcast, uh, you know, Merrick and Friedman talked about that, uh, talked about a lot of the teams that would be interested in him. And, uh, you know, understandably too, we saw how well he played in the playoffs and, uh, you know, a lot of teams look at that. I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's just media circles, maybe it's other teams, but are less mm -hmm. inclined to look at the Kraken during the regular season. And uh, they kind of have a sharper focus during the playoffs. And Susie really did step up in my opinion during the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, you maybe had one or two games with the discipline issues kind of reared their head, but otherwise he was just really solid and, and was a big reason their defense depth was, was good enough to move them forward to game seven of the second round un unexpectedly, I think to a lot of people. Um, so Susie going to be a UFA and teams also just covet that kind of defenseman, oh, big totally. defenseman who can play physically, you know, who has a, a bit of sneaky offensive upside. Yeah. Um, just move the puck you, out you of your imagine zone. He's like, he's really good at that. Yeah. That's valuable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so, you know, teams are going to look at that. And one of the teams that's been uh, rumored, probably the, the strongest that I've heard to go after Carson Soucy is the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I mean, did we Krakens... talk like, yeah, you know, I mean, Carson Soucy really like like Norris caliber moving the puck out of his own zone. You know what I mean? Like paired. Oh, with, yes. Paired with a Quinn Hughes. Insane. Like sky's the limit. Oh, could you imagine? Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help, but just go into my, you know, grabs popcorn, waits to see what kind of moves the Canucks mm -hmm. make this off season every year. And you see it just like clockwork, the chatter. Right. And I don't want to get into red glare territory here talk about the Canucks too much, right? but every year 
they they manage to convince themselves that they're just a few moves away from getting back into playoff contention. They don't actually need to rebuild. They've done it again this year. You can see it all coming out through the media. They're going to go out and they're going to use the uh, Ekman Larson buyout money to go and try and bring in some new players who could get them back into that eight seed and, and make the playoffs. Um, and it seems like Carson Soucy might be someone who's on their radar. And I've been thinking about this a lot and I have mixed emotions about it because in one, in one sense, I love this for Carson Soucy potentially because there's a lot of demand. So I, I think there's going to yeah. be a bidding war for He's his He's going to get paid for sure. And I could totally, yeah, I could totally see the Canucks shelling out a ton of money to sign him. Mm -hmm. And if that was the case, good for him. Like yep. Carson should get paid. Yeah. Um, you know, absolutely deserves it going in, into UFA. And so I could see that happening. I'd be, I'd be glad for him if they offered that big contract. I mean, they've done it in the past paying defensemen that, you know, probably more than they were, they're worth the market value. The Tyler Myers contract's almost up. They need someone to replace that. Right. Um, so, so I don't want to go to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know that Carson Susie would ever do as much damage as Tyler Myers has done to the Canucks. <laughs> No, definitely not. And he's not going to get paid that much, but I could see them going like maybe four and a half on, yeah. on a multi-year deal. Yeah. It might take that just and so you know, I multiple love that. teams are in. Yeah, I love that for Carson. He'd get yep. to not have to move too far, staying in the Pacific Northwest, yep. getting paid his money. But then I thought about the downside. And I, I think Carson Soucy, maybe more than any other Kraken player this year, drew the fans ire at certain times because of maybe mm -hmm. the discipline issues, you know, the penalty stuff. We, if you're listening yeah. to this podcast, you probably know all that we're talking about. And I just, I, I feel like eventually he might just get eaten alive in Vancouver because we know how the fan base can be. We know how the media there can be. And as soon as a, the discipline issues come up again, because I, I think they probably will at some point, he takes a, a penalty in a crucial point in the game. And B, they realize that they're paying potentially four and a half million a year for, let's be honest, someone who is a really, really good third pairing defenseman, but not a whole yeah. lot better than that. I just, I could see that Vancouver turning on him. And I, I just, I don't like what that would, what that would entail. No, I mean, I, I don't wish that upon anybody, right? Any player, like there's very few, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, there's very few guys that I would want to have to go through all that, if if any. And certainly Carson Soucy, I don't think, has done anything close to deserving it. Um it's it would be it would be an unfortunate, you know, fact of life of signing there. I I, I think it's yep. the is the and way you have to, to say know it. it was coming. You know, you would, I'm, I'm sure you, you know how the how the fans are there and the media is there. You you, you know that when you sign. Yep. Um, but it'd be interesting to to see if that's something you do. Again, just just rumors. It's just talk. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of this stuff as we go into the off season. Um, just you know, on on kind of a slower NHL news week. Just something interesting to talk about. Yep. And yeah, I I think he is going to be one of the more coveted pieces of the off season. Uh, maybe not the day one kind of free agent signing, but like day two or three, I could see you know. A lot of you know in there. this year's class, I think he might be actually a, a day, a day one. one signing. Yeah, maybe. You look at the you look at the D class, like yeah, look at the whole free agency class. Oh, like it rough. is, it is very weak. It's it's not. Good. I, wasn't there a quote from was it was it a scout or a GM or someone up in no it was somebody up in management for a team that gave an anonymous quote like just it bleeping sucks. It does <laughs> this free I mean, agency class. That. Yeah, no, the Kraken are in a really good spot, not having to rely on it. Right. The fact that they don't need to go out there and make a free agent signing to 
reinvigorate the fan base or to find a you know cornerstone piece or whatever the fact that they're like oh yeah no we can just you know promote from within a Ty Cartier here a Riker Evans there we only have like three open spots to even think about anyway uh that's nice that's a, it's a really good yeah. year for that for the Kraken good thing it's not last off season where you're needing to add you're needing to, oh my gosh, to you yes. know bring in a bunch of reinforcements no, uh, they would have not, forced some bad stuff there's yeah. there is no justin schultz veteran puck mover on the back end and you know uh andre burakovsky fresh off wood in his second stanley cup you know he can come in and be that top six scorer for you lead the team in scoring when healthy all that yeah no and you can get him on a good deal that's definitely not happening this year um no, all right not at all so for the last last little bit here, RJ, do want to talk about the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights finally ascended to the top of the mountain, RJ, many years after a lot thought that they would. Uh, not important who those people would be, by the way. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they did win the Stanley Cup. You know, congrats for them. We talked about it on Red Glare. Um, but when it comes to the Kraken, you know, what does this mean for the Kraken, right? They came in. Um, you know, a few years after the Golden Knights did, same expansion draft setup, same expansion setup. This wasn't like, you know, one of them had the favorable treatment. The other still had to work with 1992 rules and was going to be bad for 20 years. Um, what does, what yeah. does this mean for the Kraken? Does it reset expectations? Should everybody be like, all right, if we don't win a cup in six years, we're bad like i don't think that but you know <laughs> something along those lines like do you think this does change expectations does it change timelines say for a ron francis well i i wouldn't go as far as to say if they don't win a cup in six years they're bad uh but i i do think it does shift expectations a little bit i don't think it shifts anything in the way that ron on Francis is going to approach what he's doing with his team, you know, as it shouldn't, you know, he's, uh, he's not one to let that kind of stuff get to him. But mm -hmm. um, I think, look, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Kraken and Golden Knights, whether they like it or not, yep. are, they're just, they're linked. It's, it's yep. a, it's a reality of being the two most recent expansion franchises, the first two to happen with these new expansion draft rules, which are, a lot more favorable than the previous expansion draft rules. Uh, that's, that's for sure. And especially given the success that the Kraken have had, look, if the Kraken had had the season this past year that we maybe expected them to have at the start of the year, where they got a little bit better, they finished say the, you know, the ninth seed or the 10th seed in the, in the West, and they didn't quite make the playoffs but they made a decent push and were alive in the last month and, you know, improved moderately. Then I don't know that those expectations necessarily exist. And, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of write Vegas off as just this one-off anomaly and nobody was ready for that expansion draft. But given the Kraken's success this year, I do think you have, you know, some very real parallels there. And, and you see, and I think a lot of people are re realizing that these expansion draft rules, they are a very favorable setup. Yeah. Um, and you are given a good situation just because of mostly, I think that blank salary cap slate, uh, it was different reasons for, you know, Vegas, nobody was prepared. Everyone made a bunch of really stupid trades and side deals with them. And they were able to take advantage of things that way. The Kraken, there was a pandemic that led to a flat cap. And so you had a clean cap environment. And so you can make moves like an Oliver Bjorkstrand trade where you have, uh, the cap space to do that. You know, you, you can ha bring in players like, um, 
you know, Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, very reasonable contracts because mm -hmm. you know that cap's not going up and you're signing all your contracts knowing that, oh, this pandemic has happened and, and the cap isn't going to be moving. Whereas other teams had contracts they signed anticipating the cap would probably be at 100 million by now at least. Yeah. Um, so very favorable scenario, I think, for both teams. And you look at success too. Through two years, through their first two seasons, Vegas had won three playoff rounds. Through the first two seasons, the Kraken have won two playoff rounds. Yeah. Or sorry, one 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 playoff round. They got to a second, second round. round yeah. You know, one game away from winning a second one. Yeah. And you know, it's it's not that different. You know, you're seeing a team that through through three years, you know, could do something even more than that. So I, I think you're going to start seeing some parallels there. You're going to have those comparisons. I think you should probably try and resist those, you yeah. know, uh, with, with the cup and six timeline. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. One thing I, I you know, I did always respect, though, about Vegas and, and particularly Bill Foley was the fact that he was not shy about setting those expectations and saying from the start, cup and six, we're going to do this. You know, we have a standard of excellence. Maybe it's, you know, growing up, hearing about the stories of the old Raiders and the Al Davis's commitment to excellence and all of that, where you want to have the high standards where I respect it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the Kraken have never operated that way. No. Um, and, and, you know, they've never, the clear expectation always was just, we want to make the playoffs every year. We want to make the playoffs. We want to make the playoffs. I think that's a healthy expectation to have. Yeah. But I don't know, Dylan, what, what do you think? I'm kind of rambling at this point. No, no, it's fine. Um, like, I, it, it is it is two different styles right that that both organizations have taken and there is something to the you know kind of more win at all costs this is what matters approach of a vegas um i think there's certainly aspects of life where that you know is what's rewarded and that is you know what you have to have at times right um, and, and certainly sports makes sense as one of the fields to have that mentality in. Um, but I also think that there is something to the Kraken where it's like, look, we do want to win. Like that's, you know, that's why we're all here. Nobody's playing the game just to like play hockey and just go home afterwards. Like you want to accomplish something, but for the Kraken organization to, to really try to put the fans first, put everyone's experience first. You know, and whether that's the, the players, whether that's management, whether that's media, whether that's the fans, there's always been this emphasis on community, on making sure that everybody who exists in and around the Kraken are taken care of and are having a good time and their experience with the Kraken is memorable and good. And I think that that is something that in the long run will be healthier and sustainable for the franchise maybe than taking the uh, Bill Foley approach where it can work in the short term and it has driven Vegas to, to successes and they do have a Stanley Cup to show for it. Like you can't argue with any of those things, but you do wonder about the way that they have treated players, the way they've treated fan favorite players. Had they not won this cup, what does that look like for that fan base? You know what I mean? Like, there you, you play with a lot of fire when you take that approach and generally in sports we've seen teams that take that approach there are dark times that go with those highs whereas i feel like the ones that that kind of take the kraken approach where you know you know you do have ownership making sure everyone's being taken care of and looked after and making sure that everybody wants to be there 
and and wants to be excited about that team and and understands that none of this happens without fans caring about the team and wanting to build that relationship with them and build the strong community around it. I, I think those are the ones where you have the lifelong non-jaded fans. And I think that that's a really special thing and not too many franchises in all of sports can say that. And I think it's something that the Kraken are working towards. And I think that that is something that's really special. And it is one of those things that, you know, when you're at the end of your life and you think about all the things that you've done and you think about rooting for a franchise, you don't want to feel jaded about that. You want to be proud of the fact that you were involved in all that and you shared all those moments with that franchise and that they were all, you know, largely good moments. Yeah. There's always going to be the stuff like losing game sevens, right? Like that just comes with it. But the way that you react to that, the difference between everybody being bummed out last night be versus chanting Joey and being all in it together. Like that's massive as far as how everybody who was there last night is going to remember that moment. And, and I think the Kraken organization taking that other approach is, is good. As for whether or not fans should have the expectation of a cup and six, all that kind of stuff, I don't know that too many people will. I feel like Kraken fans are already a little different. They're passionate. They're Seattle sports fans. We know what that entails. But I think the fact that year one went down the way it went down, the expectation is never going to be like we absolutely have to win a cup. Would there be disappointment if come year seven or eight it didn't materialize and Maddie Beneers is now approaching 30 and, you know, Shade Wright's close to 30 and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, of course there will be disappointment. Um, but I think that just the, the, the relationship that Kraken fans have to the team is very healthy and it's very supportive and it's built around just, you know, love and excitement for that team and supporting that team. And I just think that that's something that we would never kind of reach that level of everybody being like, you know, you, you guys didn't try hard enough or I wish we had behaved differently. I wish mm -hmm. we had sold out our goaltender that everybody loved and didn't even tell him he was being traded until he was on a plane somewhere. You know what I mean? Like Seattle fans are just never going to, going to be, be down for that kind of stuff. So I, I think, I think it's all okay. Yeah, and you touched on the last point I was going to make, that how important that first season was yeah. as far as kind of setting the tone, not just for expectations, but just general attitude toward the yeah. team. You know, loving the team, win or lose, understanding mm -hmm. it's not all about the wins. Um, you know, I, I, I think it would have been kind of harmful to the to the culture, the family, to everything had they crack and gone to the cup final in year one. I yeah. really do. Um, you know, I, I think it was really important to have that first season to just kind of ground everybody, uh, you know, the, the Vegas didn't have. And, and as a result, they kind of needed that cup in six. Mm -hmm. They they really did. Uh, if they didn't get that done, it, it could have been, you know, kind of disastrous for for everyone. And, um, you know, they're, they're lucky they did get it done. And the last thing, too, is um, <laughs> the, the cup in six and, and Vegas getting it done, especially it ignores just how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup. Oh, I mean, totally. you have franchises that have, you know, been 30, 40 years yep. that, that, that don't win one. And, and just because Vegas makes it look easy, doesn't make, doesn't mean that it is. And that's one of the reasons I, you know, even from back when Vegas came into existence and went to the cup final their first year, and I was still a Sharks fan at that point. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, I, I resented the fact that they made it look easy because mm -hmm. I, you know, I knew from all, all my time following a franchise that had tried and tried and tried and couldn't get it, couldn't get it done, that it, that it's not easy. And that mm -hmm. nothing is guaranteed. You're never guaranteed to climb to the top of that mountain. And I think if you if you just have the appreciation of that from the start, it's going to be really helpful. Yeah, no, it is. And 
I think you know one of the aspects that that Vegas did have on its side was was having ownership like uh, Bill Foley who you know is going to do the kind of spare no expense right I'm going to hire whoever it takes to to get us there you know I'm going to make sure the facilities are whatever it takes to get us there all that kind of stuff and the Kraken have that too right I've talked about that before you've talked about it before the Kraken very much share that we talk about it earlier with the Firebirds and talking about the fact that they went out and they hired a Dan Bilesma to be their head coach for their AHL team. They went out and they hired somebody like Coach Jess to develop players because she is really good at it, and we've seen that result, right? Um, to, to set up and build a community in a place like Coachella Valley was a decision that they made and, and everything. So I feel like there is a lot of parallels. It just comes down to, yeah, almost at the end of the day, do you do you view like the players and the the things around your organization as assets or do you view them as like people and i feel like that's kind of where there can be a distinction between these two franchises where for vegas everybody is an asset and as soon as that assets value dips below a different assets value that other assets getting brought in and with the kraken while there has to be some of that right like ron francis can't make everybody happy he has to improve the team we talked about it earlier with drieger or carson susie right like these are just the realities of it but just the way you go about doing it and the way you go about making the people within the organization feel the way the fans feel about the team the way the fans feel about that relationship between team and player goes a long way and that is something that you know, you and I have questioned in the long run, is this going to, you know, hurt Vegas's abilities to sign free agents? I got to think the way the Kraken, you know, care for their players and the setup that they have for their players, you and I have also talked about. Got to think that's going to help the Kraken in the future in free agency. So I'm uh, I'm really happy with the in way the In good times and bad. Again. Yeah, exactly. Dude. Exactly. Because for Vegas, as soon as you're not, as soon as you can't pitch we are basically going to win a Stanley Cup. You are going to be playing yeah. for a Stanley Cup. You're going to have a legitimate shot at that every year. Because, look, that's not going to be the case every year no, for a franchise forever. As soon as you can't pitch that anymore, you're you're going to have a lot more difficulty bringing players in versus the Kraken. Be able to sign Andre Burakovsky to a long-term deal at a reasonable cap hit coming off the third worst record in the league. Yeah. And no assurance that you're going to be necessarily better the next season. Mm -hmm. Like I think that tells you everything you need to know. It, it really does. And I think that... The fans see that kind of stuff and the fans value that stuff. Certainly, I know the people within our community to kind of go full circle with how we started this podcast. The fans within our community and the, the greater Kraken community that we've had the pleasure of dealing with very much recognize those things and feel those things. And that's why I don't think there's going to be that same level of expectation uh, for the fan base. As long as, you know... The team is competitive because everybody does want them to be competitive. As long as they are competitive and as long as everyone yeah. feels like everyone's in it together and we're all taking care of each other, you know, things are going to be all right, right? We've already made so many friendships with so many people that that's going to be the lasting thing, I think, for a lot of people within the community more so than, say, one cup win when it could be 40 before the next one kind of thing. Yeah. Just uh, set how many how many friendships and great memories in six? You yes. Set a goal. Yes. Go set a goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there we go. All right. So um, yeah, but it's you know it's 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 it is what it is. Um, I think it's going to be one of those things we're going to now have to deal with as Kraken fans from the NHL at large, 
The eyes are going to slowly shift from Vegas to us over the next couple of years as, you know, the moves Vegas have made and the fact that they just have nobody coming through that pipeline of theirs because they've sold them all off um, is, is going to take an effect for them. And as the Kraken continue to get stronger, as they continue to stick with Ron Francis's, um, you know, a little bit more of a slow burn build plan that we're starting to see the, the effects of as we're seeing um, them develop guys like a Ty Cartier and a Riker Evans, you know, the Kraken are going to be competitive for a while. And I do think there's going to be a time where, you know, the NHL is going to really start looking at us like, you know, okay you guys the the ones that coming in and doing this and other fan bases boy you think the montreal canadian fans about just shane wright have been rough this year there's going to come a time where the kraken are like a legit force and everybody's going to be saying the same things they did about vegas of you guys were just handed the team blah 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 and so you know i'm not envious of the fact that we're going to have to go through that rj but again i feel like the kraken fans kraken community pretty pretty well set up to deal with it yeah, no, I, I think you should have no problems dealing with that. Um, I, I trust everyone. Just mentally prepare yourselves for it now. Yep, exactly. That's, 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 I think, the ultimate takeaway from Vegas winning the Stanley Cup is now when we go out there and we look good with our good players, It's it, that's what we're going to have to deal with. Um, all right. That's I think that's it for for this week's episode of the Deep Dive. Another shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall, uh, sponsor of the podcast. Uh, next week um, on the podcast going to be all about the draft because it's going to be a couple days before the draft. Uh, so we'll talk about what we want to see maybe from the Kraken as far as what players they could be targeting at 20, maybe even in the second round. Should they be making trades? Should they be moving up? What is Ron Francis's draft day history when it comes to things like that? Uh, so it'll really be a draft day primer. And then also a reminder for everyone, we will be live for the first round of the draft. We will be doing a draft night live stream for that first round next uh a week from today, a week from Thursday today, right? It's next Thursday. So, um, or Wednesday, is it Wednesday? No, Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday. I'm yeah. Less than, yeah. It's Wednesday. Week from yesterday. So, so six days not from, a week now. from today, next Wednesday, yes, next Wednesday, yes. uh, we'll be live for the first round. We can all hang out, watch how the draft unfolds, see who's going to fall to 20 because after doing that mock draft, RJ, I'm telling you there's, there's too many good players in this draft. There's just too many. Someone, there's going to be multiple really good players for the Kraken to pick at 20. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we get to all see what goes and on. And if you're that. curious, if you're curious who Dylan thinks it's going to be, yeah, check out his mock draft. It's the most viewed 2023 mock draft uh, on YouTube. Go check it out uh, on our YouTube channel. Thank you, by the way, everyone. No, I, I was just going to say like, and all that. Those of you who haven't already, it feels like everybody in the hockey world already has. Um, yeah, incredible. I mean, that's you saying that most watched mock draft on YouTube. It's wild. It's wild. But yep. boy, do I have the ridiculous comments to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Have that's... fun scrolling through that comment section too. You know what? It is the best part of having a successful video on YouTube. I'm not going to lie, RJ. The views, the, you know, the, the whatever ad revenue, all that kind of stuff is nice. It's, it's the comments. It's the, it's the people chiming in, telling you you don't know anything, but then saying some ridiculous reason to prove that you don't know anything. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I think it's fantastic. So thanks, everybody, for, for joining us for this one. We'll, um, we'll see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane? Alex, Andrew, 
Anonymous, Ben, Brad, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shannon, Shushine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 